are digital nomads. We work anywhere. We're not limited by location. We're not limited by self-belief. We are works in progress. I'm Beck Power, and this is the Nomad Me Podcast. Nora Dunn is one of the original pioneers of travel blogging going back to 2006 and has blazed a trail for literally thousands of others she's inspired through the years. She makes her living as a freelance writer and blogger and also teaches people how to become a digital nomad. Nora is truly one of the original modern nomads who has lived and traveled in just about every way you can imagine. Let's do this. What's up? This is the Nomad Me podcast or uh, or vlog, depending on where you're consuming it. And uh, today, Nora Dunn is with us. What's up, Nora? Hey, hey, nice to be here. It's great to have you. Um, you are the professional hobo. I am indeed. As I've been traveling to- full-time, full-time yeah. since 2006. That's, that's, you're like a, a dinosaur, and I mean that in the nicest way possible, you know that. I usually like to use the word pioneer, but okay, dinosaur, that works too. Yeah, well, either way. Um, that's so cool. There's, there, are, there are lots of questions. Why don't you, why don't you get, I mean, I'm, I don't do the intros. You should intro yourself. Who, who, where, what do you do? Basically. Who, what, why, where, when. Um, Okay, so I'm originally from Canada. I was uh, backtracked very quickly to 2006. I was running a fairly successful financial planning practice in Toronto, Canada, and I realized somewhere in the mix that I had kind of forgotten about my own lifelong dream of traveling the world long-term and intensively. And I realized I wasn't able to or willing to wait another, you know, three decades uh, to a conventional retirement age to do it. So I sold a lot uh, to embrace my dreams of traveling long term. Uh, now, that was back in 2006, so people weren't really doing that at the time. So for me, I felt like I was the only person in the world who had ever done this, uh, which was not quite true. Uh, but it certainly did mean that in the ensuing years of traveling the world and also of developing a career uh, that would allow me to continue traveling the world, a, a location-independent career, uh, I was definitely trailblazing. And uh, found myself, uh, you know, like, for example, I started a travel blog before blogging was even a thing. Uh, it wasn't a recognized form of media. The, the whole concept of monetization, uh, the terms digital nomad and location independent had yet to be invented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and I cut my teeth. I cut my teeth on the world. Uh, I cut my teeth on an industry that was building up and around me. Uh, and ultimately, my, my career ended up parlaying my expertise as a financial planner. Uh, into uh, into a career as a freelance writer and blogger. And now on my website, which is theprofessionalhobo.com, I teach people how to travel full-time in a financially sustainable way. Epic. That's that's very well summed up. You've done that before. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> um, okay, so, like, let's, let's get started. Do you know what's funny? I usually ask people right before this, like, okay, hey, what's our one topic? And I didn't do that. Because I was like, let's just get into it. I have so many questions. So why don't we really quick, just for everyone to enjoy, um, pick one topic that we can like really focus in on. What do you love talking about? I didn't read that thing in the. All right. Well, actually, that continues the story I just started quite nicely. One of the first things that I learned as I was busy trying to develop my career as a financial planner, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, as a, as a writer, 
was I learned how to travel inexpensively. I learned how to travel on a budget uh, because the amount of money that I initially had to travel with was, uh, was a fixed income and I had to make it last. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the most amazing ways that I had, I discovered along the way to travel, to save money, but also to have some of the most rewarding and immersive cultural experiences around the world was to get free accommodation. Mm. And I have since discovered, uh, well, I wrote a book, of course, mm -hmm. uh, that um, outlines five different ways to get free accommodation around the world. I've practiced most of these ways, anything from living on boats for months on end to volunteering. And I tell you, I did a lot of weird things doing that to house sitting to hospitality exchanges. And all in all, in my first 10 years of travel, I saved over $100,000 on accommodation expenses. Wow. That's, that seems like a lot. Okay. It is a lot of money, but if you think about the amount of money that you would spend on accommodation, I mean, there are some places you can live in the world where you can rent a place for maybe a couple hundred dollars a month. However, in the countries that I was living in in the world, that would not have been possible. I was living in Australia. I was living in the Caribbean. I was living in, in places that were quite expensive and places, uh, on top of that, places, very luxurious houses and estates uh, often that I was living in and taking care of that, you know, I wouldn't remotely have been able to afford. Mm. So, yeah, I did do the math. In the first five years, I saved over $63,000. Wow. Uh, and then in the following four years, five years, um, I did a little bit less uh, in terms of free accommodation. But, yeah, it's added up over time. Holy crap. All right. So are you ready to tell me all the things? Sure. Why not? Okay, great. So um, uh, I, I thought it would be some aspect of the financial bit of traveling. This is a really great one. We haven't had too much uh, talk of like ways to save money as a nomad and accommodation obviously is one of the biggest expenses. So um, I mean, I did an episode on house sitting uh, earlier. I mean, I don't even know, like let's, what are the other, what other ways are there and let's go into them. Well, we may as well start from the beginning, from how I discovered the whole thing to begin with. 100%. Uh, and it actually started with a, a woman who came in to buy my couch. <laughs> who knew? And she said, oh, you're going to do any woofing when you're, when you're traveling. And I said, what? She said, woofing. I said, what? I thought she had a cold or something. Yeah, she yeah. She said, no, woofing. You know, she said, woof. It's W-W-O-O-F. It's an acronym for Worldwide Work on Organic Farms. She said, you can get free accommodation and, you know, volunteer in, like, farms around the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd never heard of this before. Uh, I, my thumbs are not particularly green, so the whole idea of organic farming didn't really do a heck of a lot for me. Right. But uh, a couple of hours of research uh, revealed a whole world of different ways that you can volunteer uh, your hours in trade free accommodation around the world. So that was the first way, my first kind of modality of getting free accommodation. And I spent a couple of years doing various things. I, I lived and worked in Hawaii in a couple of different places, doing anything from milking goats, as you do, to designing marketing plans, to painting murals, all in trade for free accommodation. Uh, I spent a couple of years in Australia, including six months where I was doing anything from landscaping to leading eco treks on llamas to chopping wood, all in trade for a free, a beautiful bluestone cottage on a 300 hectare property. Wow. Move on to New Zealand. I volunteered at a retreat uh, and conference center there where I was 
helping to cook for the retreat guests uh, and take care of the retreat center. Eventually, I I started training the volunteers and managing, uh, working into kind of a managerial role. Again, all in trade for some amazing pieces of accommodation and experiences that were really, you know, quite easy, ultimately. One of the stresses that I've, in later years, come to, to feel in the, in the nomadic life is there's always the stress of, okay, where am I going next? Okay, so i got to research. i got to figure out how to get there. i got to figure out where to live. How am I going to, you know, can I rent a place there? Do I have to find a hotel? What's the best area to be in? And there's all these questions that need answering, and it takes a monumental amount of time to sort that out. Whereas if you have a free accommodation, for example, volunteering opportunity, uh, it's kind of taken care of. Like uh, once I had the gig, I knew I was traveling to that country for that gig. Mm. All I had to do was get myself there. And then once I was there, I was plugged into this really cool opportunity. I was usually a community, of a local community uh, that was allowing me to have an experience that I would never have been able to have if I was just a traveler. So not only did it come with the, the amazing benefit of saving money, but it also came with the, with the, uh, the really the, 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 what many travelers think of as a quintessential experience of getting off the beaten path. Yeah. And you, you've had so many of those experiences. And it, I think that it, um, it rem- I don't know, that makes me think of how people try to control their, tra- their trips, right? They're like, I want to do this, and then I'm going to go and do that. And there's no room for that, like, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Like fluidity. Flexibility. Flexibility, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's no room for that. It seems like you have a mindset that's totally open to all that kind of stuff. For me, I never tended to choose my destinations. I would allow my destinations to choose me, and I would allow my destinations to choose me in the form of some sort of free accommodation opportunity. So it made travel planning a lot easier in a lot of ways. That, um, based on your background as like a financial advisor, that really surprises me. That's not like the kind of, you know, I wouldn't like put those two things together. What do you think, what influenced that mindset? You know, I mean, that's a great question. I, I, I mean, I guess throughout my life, even prior to making the decision to travel full time, uh, I, I've kind of lived a, a little bit of a charmed life in that a lot of the things that I've done, uh, or opportunities have come to me that really I couldn't have imagined it. I couldn't have planned for half the things that I've done in life, but I've simply been open to uh, and had my eyes open to some opportunities coming to me. So whereas, whereas someone might go through life and not really consider other options, for me, suddenly the side of the road, I see kind of proverbially speaking, uh, figuratively speaking, a a blinking uh, light with a a sign saying, try this, do this. Or I'll get a phone call from a friend saying, hey, for example, get a phone call from a friend. Hey, how do you want to do a skydive? I'm like, oh, cool. I've never thought about skydiving Mm -hmm. before. Okay, let's go. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that led to a a skydiving career. I had 300 jumps and I used to compete. Holy crap. Uh, so, yeah, and that's it. I, I've lived many, 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 many lives. And a lot of it has come from simply the, the, the state of being, of being open to whatever opportunity should come to me. And mm-hmm. even the financial planning was an opportunity that came to me uh, through a friend who had gotten into the business. And I said to him, wow, you know, I've, I'm really good with my money. I've always wanted to kind of get into this, but I thought I needed, you know, XYZ, university degree and whatnot to do it. And he said, no, no, you just need to, 
take these courses and get these licenses and you can do it all without a degree. And I went, wow. No, six months later, I was a financial planner. Wow. So yeah, my travel career has really followed that kind of fluidity. This is just a podcast of me saying wow a lot, isn't it? <laughs> I'm like, we contribute. This is so, so great. Really cool to hear. Um, but I, I, you should give yourself a little bit more credit because, um, you know, being that way and having that way of being is really awesome, but it's more than that. You know, you've done more than that. There are, um, you know, as someone who spent, I mean, I had a time in my life where I sat a lot just in my room and I was like, why aren't I getting any opportunities? You know, like I, in my head, I'm like, I'm open, I'm receiving, you know, like, no, you, you went out and you made friends and you, you kept in contact with people and you were like, there's actions that you also have to take to have those sort of opportunities whilst you absolutely do need an open mind. I don't believe they fell into your lap. I think you really didn't have to necessarily go out looking for them, but um, we're taking, you're putting yourself in positions where opportunities became available. Am I right? Uh, you know what? I, absolutely. I think you are right. You did, there is a certain de- degree of having to put yourself out there in order for something to come. Uh, if all I did was sit in my room and yeah. stare at my toes, uh, perhaps I wouldn't have had the same sort of opportunities. So by virtue of having been kind of out there and doing mm. stuff to begin with, uh, I've, I've certainly been able to pave the way for some of the crazy stuff that's happened. And I think that's really um, a momentum-based thing, right? Like, so, of course, when you started, you know, you started doing a couple things. Whenever I start something new, and I'm sure you'll agree, think opportunities seem to fall out of the sky. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I just, whenever I decide to do something and I start taking actions towards that thing, people hear about it. Other people, they introduce me to other people. It's like this whole thing, and it's like a snowball, and I feel like that's probably why you, you can keep having these opportunities. People that you met in New Zealand might have introduced you to someone in somewhere else. And then you, you know, like it's just crazy once you start. And I think what's in, in front of a lot of people is like that, that starting. What do I do? I need to have control of everything. What should I, where should I start? I need to read all the things before I begin. And you touch upon an, a really brilliant point there. I uh, I often get emails. I get uh, you know a million emails uh, mm-hmm. uh, from of various types from readers and people who are interested in getting into the lifestyle and they don't even know where to begin. So mm-hmm. I mean that's obviously what my website is at least in part about to help arm people with the information they need to get started in the lifestyle. But one of the very common things uh, that uh, a lot of these people share is this desire to know everything before they get started. Mm. And that it's never going to happen. <laughs> you know, it, you will never know everything you need to know before you go. And in fact, if you did, it, it's almost not worth going. Like, <laughs> exactly. where, where's the fun? You know, like the whole idea of trying Traveling as a lifestyle is, is to, to be an intrepid explorer, to, uh, you know, to try to, to, you know, go where no man has gone before, uh, mm-hmm. literally and figuratively, to, uh, to explore not only parts of your outside world and the world around us, but also, uh, you know, whether you know it or not, you're exploring your inner world as well. Mm. And uh, the, the most tragic trips uh, or travelers I've met along the way are, are the people who are having, a, you know, for example, they're planning a one year trip around the world and they have it so planned 
that they have zero flexibility to take advantage of anything. I mean, they're like, they're like, we're having, I met a bunch of people in Peru at one point that we're having such a great time here. Oh my gosh, we would love to stay for longer. And we want to join you on this big hike that you're doing next week, but we can't because we're going to go to Bolivia and then we're going to go to Ecuador and then we're going to Colombia and then we're going, and we're doing this tour and we're doing that and da 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 da. And like, even if they wanted to reschedule things, they couldn't because it was just a giant domino effect of stuff that they'd already pre-booked and pre-planned. Mm-hmm. And the real tragedy of that is you don't have the ability to take advantage of the opportunities that are around you every day. You don't get the, uh, the, the opportunity to nurture a new friendship with another traveler or even better with a local. Mm-hmm. Wow, what if you get invited by a local to their family wedding? Like that is like the quintessential <laughs> off the beaten path traveler experience. Uh-huh. Like, you know, if you get invited to a local wedding, you are the shit. And Yet, if you can't, if you don't have time to do it or enough flexibility to do it, you're out of luck. So don't try to figure it out along the way. Jump in, get your feet wet. You will learn how to swim. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that a lot of people learn along the way is there are many, many different ways to travel. There are many different ways to skin a cat and you can develop your, your own completely unique style of travel. Uh, and that can be, it's, it's unique to you. So why not develop it? And uh, instead of trying to figure out how to replicate how someone else is doing it. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, that flexibility thing, it, I mean, that represent or is represented to me by, I, I have nomad fly, which you're, you know, and, uh, it's the whole concept is exactly that, but for flights. <laughs> so it's like when I used to sell flights, we were paying $4,000, for around the world airfare, 16 destinations in like six months or something. And I'm like, ah, you know, that's a terrible idea. First of all, you have to pay loads to do it. Yeah. Second of all, like that all the time. And like, if you divide up your flights and do them one at a time and you only book two flights ahead or whatever, however you want to do it. Um, yeah. Things become much more flexible and you can do whatever you want. I've definitely seen the, uh, I don't, I think there should be a name for them, but I don't know what to call them. Like these people who are like in a hurry to travel, you know, but well, can't, can't stop. Gotta go. Gotta keep moving. It's exhausting. <laughs> well, and the other really, you just touched upon it again. It is exhausting. If you are traveling for more than a very short period of time, your pace of travel is, has got to be slow. Uh, it, it is, I learned after a couple of years mm. and it, I'm surprised I've survived that long really. But you, again, if, what's your reason for traveling? Do you want to see a little bit of everything? Do you want to hit, you know, every country in the world before you turn 30? Okay. Well then you're going to have to go fast. But if you want to actually experience life around the world and meet people around the world, you got to go slow. And the sheer amount of energy required to move from one destination to the next is, mm-hmm. is like I was saying earlier, I mean, just, just finding a bloody place to stay. Yeah. It takes me, it takes me like a day to find a place to stay like uh, online before I arrive. Yeah. Right. Like it, it's, yeah. So, I mean, for me over time, it, it's been, I've been traveling slower and slower. Um, I think my, my epic disaster of a year was I think 2010 where I, the longest I stayed anywhere the entire year was two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. On average, I was changing beds every five days and I needed some months in a comatose state the next year just to recover from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily I was in New Zealand, so it was a great place to recover. But since then, yeah, I normally won't go anywhere if I, if it's for any less than a month, uh, ideally one to three months in each location, 
sometimes even longer. Uh, if you don't have a home base, you got to go slow. If you have a home base, it's a little bit of a different situation. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you were, you were saying to me before that you are um, maybe in the search of a new home base right now. I am. Uh, I have been lucky enough to have a couple of home bases along the way in my travels. Uh, I had a, a place in Australia for about a year and a half. Uh, I was in the Caribbean on the island of Grenada for a couple of years on and off. Uh, and I was in Peru for a couple of years on and off as well. And they were really great bases because not only was my home a cultural experience, and every time I stepped out my front door, I was still in a country that was new and foreign to me. And I was learning the, the, the subtleties of local life. Uh, but then I also had a place to unpack <laughs> and a place that I could travel from. So I could take these trips from there, knowing I was coming back. And where that was, was advantageous for me uh, was, for example, everything I own fits into a suitcase. Mm -hmm. It's kind of annoying, right? <laughs> so if I can just throw a few things into a little carry-on bag and go, it feels a lot more liberating than slugging around uh, a, a big uh, checked suitcase. Mm. So uh, anyway, the last home base that I had was in Peru, and it was one of those experiences where I kind of thought it was forever, and, uh, and I was deliriously happy there for, until I wasn't. And uh, it wasn't a forever experience, and it was something that really took me by surprise. It was, uh, it was a matter of my circumstances being pulled out from under me more so than me coming to a decision to leave. Mm. Uh, and so since then, I've really kind of been a little, hmm, well, let's just say in the last couple of years, I've realized that I've been wandering around looking for something. Mm. Uh, they say that you, you travel the world either in search of something or to run away from something. Mm -hmm. And I never believed it. Uh, I, I was, I was always of that, like, I, I don't have to be searching for something or running away from something. But now I can tell you, and certainly maybe in the first 10 years, I wasn't looking for anything, but now I can tell you, I am looking for a home base. Uh, and I, I might, the next place, I'm, I, who knows, I'm open to opportunities, of course, mm -hmm. but uh, that next home base might actually be in Canada. Um, I don't do winter. Oh, and <laughs> you picked the wrong country. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. I, I have a, it's an unfortunate passport for me to have in that sense. <laughs> uh, however, because it is a home base, there really is no reason why I can't travel for the worst months of the year. That's definitely true. I definitely, um, having a home base is, I can't speak highly enough of it, you know, and it doesn't really, it doesn't matter where it is in the world. You can just go there and figure out the visa situation if you need to, or have a few home bases or whatever. Ideally, I mean, I would love to have three home bases, one here in Thailand, one in Mexico, one in somewhere in Europe. And it's cool that you just create whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working towards it. But yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely that bag thing, you know, I've got a lot more stuff now. I own this pillow. Weird. <laughs> Um, and <laughs> there's like a bag that I take, I just grab the bag. It's like a whole ritual. You know, I leave every month or few, you know, every few weeks I go somewhere, grab the bag, throw the things in. It's all the ways, the same crap I throw in there, whether it's for a weekend or for like a couple of weeks and then, you know, go all my stuff's here. And fortunately rent's quite cheap here as well. So you don't have to worry about, but now I've got Airbnb and things. So it's not a big deal either. True. Um, although Airbnb, you know what? I've yet to have any real luck with Airbnb in terms of any sort of long-term stay. I, I it just it seems like it's just 
horrendously overpriced. Chiang Mai is a perfect example, actually. Yeah. Before I went to Chiang Mai, I looked at Airbnb and I was like, all these people told me it was a cheap place to live. And it's like, why is everything $1,500 a month? Well, yeah, it's because Airbnb is not the way to do it. In That's fact, you know, in, in many Southeast Asian countries, the trick is just show up, uh-huh. walk around and find a place. Yeah, Airbnb is good if you have the Airbnb and you're renting it out. <laughs> But, ah, um, yes. Okay, that's different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you're, you're right. It's, it's expensive. And I think there will be. Um, I mean, they have kind of a monopoly right now. I mean, I'm sure there'll be other things that pop up that are a bit cheaper and, and get traction. But just because they've got so many users, hmm. I think. Uh, but, but going back to the uh, the free accommodation thing, have you got any plans to do any more of that type of stuff? Swapping accommodation for different things. Well, that, it's a unique one. Actually, that's a nice, nice segue because now I can go into the second form of free accommodation that I discovered along the way and one that really changed how I traveled mm. uh, because one of the challenges I found with volunteering and trade for accommodation is as, as much as it was an amazing way to meet people and to sample a form of life around the world that it was incredibly rewarding, trying to manage an online business concurrent to volunteering around the world ultimately made me feel like I had traded one rat race in for another. Yeah. Like imagine volunteering 25 hours a week and then working for another 30, 40, whatever hours a week. I was suddenly working 60 to 70 hour weeks and no one understood why I was perpetually exhausted and unable to kind of like do any fun, you know, social activities outside of all of these hours. Mm -hmm. So the next form of free accommodation that I discovered along the way is house sitting. Uh, Now I know that you've already done a a fabulous podcast about house sitting, so I don't need to get too much into it, but it is certainly a very popular uh, way for digital nomads and location independent entrepreneurs to travel the world and uh, and have a place to stay. And it, it was it's a great fit for me. It was a great fit for many years because it gave me all the comforts of home, somebody else's home. And uh, and really the actual number of hours that I had to trade in, in for my place to stay. Well, it varies. I mean, if you're going to take care of, you know, 15 chickens, four horses, and six dogs, you're, you're going to spend more time than if you're just watering the orchids and answering the mail. So yep. you, cho- you definitely choose your house-sitting gigs uh, accordingly uh, and according to, to the sort of lifestyle you want to live and where. But for me, I had, uh, I had some great house-sitting experiences. I did three months in Switzerland where there were no pets. So all I had to do was answer the mail, water the plants, and I got to enjoy the, the house in Zurich and the cottage in the Alps. And, awesome. I mean, life was awesome. <laughs> uh, I did two and a half months in Panama on a beautiful estate with a cool you know, an out, outdoor dog and cat and you know, gardener and a housekeeper. So really all I had to do was, again, just be there. Uh, I've done other gigs that were definitely more labor intensive. uh, And, uh, but really, again, I I learned pretty quickly that it's just a matter of choosing the right gig for yourself. And it really gave me a lot of time and space to be able to continue to work on my online business. Uh, The most recent uh, house sitting gig I did was, oh, I don't know what, within the last year I spent a couple of months in Tokyo Japan which was great because Japan is incredibly expensive and so for me to have a a house in the suburbs just outside of the center of Tokyo was uh, you know it was really the only way I I probably would have been able to to visit Japan and, and to actually spend a couple of months 
in this country that was, I, I was crazy. It was absolutely mad and random in so many ways and, and a great experience. So, uh, so house sitting is definitely still on my radar is something to do. Um, and again, it's just a, a matter, I'm not really going out there um, to, you know, I have a, a, a network of people now who will often come to me for gigs. So I don't actually put myself out there on any house sitting websites, but there's a whole bunch of websites that you can put, create profiles on and search for, for house sitting gigs on. And, uh, and it's great. I mean, I've found gigs all over the world. I've done it in England, Grenada, Switzerland, Panama, Canada, the States, um, Australia. It, the list goes on. Wow. More wows from me. <laughs> oh, wow, wow. Um, is that, how many, how many are we down? Is there a couple more ways to? Well, that's, that's two of five. Wow. Um, and probably the only other one that I would, I would, I mean, again, yeah, there's, there's so many different ways that you can do it. Um, mm. I do, if I can give a little plug, I do talk about it in my book, how to get free accommodation around the world. Link. In which you will find on my website. All the links will be okay. in the show notes. Yeah. You can feel free to continue talking about it if you want. It's totally cool. Just wanted to say the links are there. <laughs> well, the only other form of accommodation that I think is 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 really creative and something that people do not talk about, and it was something that I discovered in a in a really interesting way, is uh, is living on boats. There's an entire world of boats, and you can be anything from a deckhand to a hostess to uh, to all the on all these little little sailboats and big mega yachts and this and that and you know you can earn money or you can just volunteer and trade for uh, uh, your cabin. And I lived for three months uh, in the Caribbean with not a night on land um, on five boats spanning three countries. Wow. So, and that was all free. So, I mean, I got to live the nautical life in these amazing countries that are, you know, where you think it, you think of the, the nautical life as being a really luxurious kind of like ooh la la sort of existence. And, and it is in some ways. Uh, and in other ways, you know, again, if you're creative about how you find your gigs, uh, I stumbled into that just by meeting a couple of people when I was in Grenada house sitting Mm -hmm. I met a couple of people um, who owned a boat and I just found my way into the yachting community and it's an incredibly small community. And one thing led to another, to another, and one boat led to another, to another. And suddenly I could check three months uh, of living on boats off my list of things to do. Um, two things. Did you swap, what did you swap for the free boat ride? Did you be working, I assume you're working in some capacity on those boats? Oh no. That's a fabulous question. Uh, generally speaking, I advise anyone who's interested in getting into this to have some sort of sailing experience. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> and actually, I had an ocean phobia, so uh, <laughs> I, I was kind of a special case. Uh, but it was, uh, generally speaking, yes, you, you, you need to be able to offer something. Ironically, the first boat that I found to, to live and volunteer on, the guy who was running the boat was actually getting a video business off the ground. So in fact, we were just anchored in St. Martin for the entire time. So there was not, not really much in terms of sailing around, but I spent a couple, I don't know how long I was, but a month, I guess I, on, in total, I was on his boat helping him with his online business. So you go. who knew that, you know, even, even, even in the sailing world, I didn't have to know how to sail. 
Um, but of course I did get some sailing experience, uh, and, uh, but certainly one of the, the, in terms of the nautical community, one of the things that, uh, is definitely respected, if not required of people who are looking for a free ride is, uh, that, yeah, you have to be able to offer something. Uh, so, you know, do you know how to sail? Please tell me, you know, the basics of sailing. Uh, so, uh, if you really want to get into it, I would say take a sailing course. Uh, mm. otherwise, you know, you can always talk your way into some gigs. You can, if you're hanging out with people in the nautical community, you can make some connections and who knows, maybe there'll be an opportunity as there was, uh, for me, a few opportunities. The other thing too, is running a boat is very expensive. Uh, so be prepared to put in for uh, food, for the cost of water. You have to pay for water on the boat, for the mm -hmm. cost of fuel, for various uh, expenses. You know, be prepared to share the operational expenses, at least to a point, with the boat owners. So sometimes you will actually be paying. Sometimes the, 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 the boat owners are fairly specific about saying, okay, yes, if you want to come on our boat, we're sailing from here to here. We'll give you free passage but you're going to put in 10 bucks a day, 20 bucks a day, whatever mm. it is. And that really just goes into a communal pool mm. uh, to, uh, to share the daily expenses. And yeah, anything from being a deckhand to, um, to helping out sailing to helping some dude out with the video business. Mm. Really, if anything you learn in the world of travel, uh, anything goes. The second thing I'm wondering about that uh, is, um, is do boats have Wi-Fi nowadays? Because I have a real lifestyle <laughs> restriction. <laughs> like, it was a challenge for me at times, uh, but it really depends. Um, now that was, uh, when did I do my sailing? I did that around 2012. So that was still a bunch of years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, the farther out at sea you are, the less the chance that you have a Wi-Fi connection. Uh, but these days, uh, there's a lot more opportunities. First of all, there's Wi-Fi in most ports. Uh, second of all, lots of boat owners have big routers and this and that, so they may not always have a connection at sea, but they'll definitely have a connection if they're close to land. Uh, thirdly, uh, if you can get cell reception, technically you can get you know, uh, uh, internet simply by tethering your phone. Awesome. Yeah. It's definitely, um, a must have for, for a lot of us <clears throat> nowadays. So, uh, last thing before, um, before we move on to the quick fire round, uh, is how were you making money at that time to afford to get, cause I know that there will be everyone's question to get from one place to the other, to have all these amazing experiences and et cetera. What was your income? So when I sold everything uh, to start traveling, one of the things that I sold was my financial planning practice. Mm. So that kicked out a monthly income of about, oh, I think it was about $1,800 a month, um, which was what, and that lasted two years, two and a half years. Oh, wow. Years. Um, so basically I started traveling with that as my budget. I had some travel savings, but I really didn't want to touch it. So I learned to travel the world full time on 1800 bucks a month or less. Mm. Uh, and I was traveling with a partner at the time, which, uh, was equally expensive and money saving more expensive than not. <laughs> mm. um, but that's a long story. Um, so basically what happened was shortly after tra I started to travel, I realized that I could make a full-time living with uh, my computer and internet connection and my lifelong penchant for the written word. So I decided I was going to develop a career as a freelance writer. 
This was before blogging was a thing. So I gave myself those two years to develop a freelance writing career that would uh, replace that income that I was making from the sale of my practice. Uh, so because writing is not an easy career to make and it's not instant money, it takes time. And I knew that. Uh, so, and of course, inadvertently, the blogging industry kind of built up around me uh, in that time and, and beyond that. So ultimately, by the end of my first two years, I had replaced that, that income with uh, money from freelance writing uh, and blogging as well. And, uh, and then, yeah, it's really just been developing uh, various streams and methods of making money as a blogger, entrepreneur, and freelance writer ever since. Cool. Awesome. That's uh, very much in common with a lot of the nomads that I've been talking to. It's a, it's one of the best ways to go, I think. It is. And it's, it's a lot of work and it takes time. Uh, it's, uh, it's not to be underestimated. Uh, to Dear reader who emails me and says, hi, I'm leaving for a trip in two months and I want to use my blog to, tra- to support my travels. And um, yeah, so I never started a blog. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. Uh, you know, you're going to be prepared to treat it as a business mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, but it can be a very rewarding business because, of course, it's ultimately very flexible. Definitely. Love it. Are you ready for the quick fire round? I'm ready. Great. Um, question number one. What is the best book that you have read? Slash, if you can't think of it, what are, what are you reading right now? Does it have to do with travel? Just no, best book. Yeah. All right. Well, one of my favorite books is Shantaram. Is what? Shantaram. Shantaram. Yes. Cool. Link in the uh, link in the notes. Um, what is your? What would you consider to be your life's mission? To explore so, inner and outer worlds, all worlds. I even apprenticed with a shaman for a few years. It's all about exploration. I love it. Great answer. Um, what is a cause or a charity that you care about? Uh, whatever you're around and whatever touches you. I've actually survived a couple of natural disasters or been close to natural disasters in my travels. And I've adopted those causes and, and worked with them when I've been able to. And when you travel the world, there's going to be something that touches you somewhere, if not literally, then figuratively. Mm. So, uh, so run with it. Okay. Um, do you have anything weird that you've carried around with you on your trips? I'm really pretty practical. Do I have anything weird? <laughs> uh, you know, no, uh, well, actually, now I guess you could say I have some weird stuff because I have some kind of like mm, shamanic bits and bobs after living in Peru and working with a shaman for a few years. Now I have what you call a mesa, which is like a collection of kind of sacred artifacts that I travel with and it's a little bit bulky and kind of heavy and a little bit annoying, but I just can't let go of it. That definitely qualifies. Good answer. (laughs) Um, What, as far as um, uh, facing demons goes, when you first left, and I think a lot of us deal with this when we first leave, have you, you've been a solo traveler for most of your trips or it's been a combo. Mm. Um, as far as facing demons goes, what do you have to, I don't know, like say about have, like dealing with uh, thing, uh, you know what I mean, like internal things that you have to deal with when you leave. I, I don't know how to say it. You might be able to say it better than I can. 
you know, when it, one of the uh, one of the expressions about travel is is uh, one of the one of the greatest things that anybody who travels for any amount of time learns, often the hard way, is that uh, wherever you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. So if you're busy trying to run away from something, yeah, good luck. Travel is not going to help. Yeah. If anything, it's going to show you in even more living color what it is you're running away from. Uh, we, everybody in our life reflects back to us uh, the, often aspects of ourselves that, that sometimes that we don't want to see. And like when someone pisses you off or pushes your buttons, they're reflecting back to you some aspect of yourself that you're not willing to deal with at the moment. So uh, there is, and this doesn't, whether or not you travel, Mm. This is going to happen. The act of travel takes you out of your comfort zone. It pulls the the rug out from under you. Uh, So it it makes everything feel brand new. And it makes everything feel different. And uh, and in many cases, a lot scarier. Uh, Travel is certainly an exercise in facing fears. Uh, whether it's your fear of being alone or your fear of getting sick or your fear of getting hurt or your fear of being lost. Uh, listen, it goes on and on. And um, experience really is the only way through that. Whether it's experience of, of, of actually experiencing the things that you're afraid of or exper- uh, the sort of experience that makes you realize that your fears were unfounded. Uh, travel is a brilliant way for doing that and for, for growing as a result therein. Uh, can you accomplish that same level of personal growth without traveling? Absolutely. You just have to be a little more conscious about what you're doing and how you're doing it. Hmm. Thank you for answering the question that I was trying to ask. <laughs> I knew you would understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What um, is the next question? <laughs> That I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, what do you? What um, advice do you have for someone who is uh, sitting at home and thinking, "Oh man, all this stuff sounds so amazing! What a great like! I would love to do a skydiving thing and work on a boat and do all this fun stuff. Like, I just don't even. It's just so overwhelming. I don't know where to start. What's your advice for that person? Uh, join the club. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it's common. It's normal. It's it's fine. Uh, if if you've got a goal like uh, achieving a lifestyle of travel, or really any life goal for that matter, that seems too daunting at the start, uh, break it down. Break it down into little bits that you can accomplish and achieve each day, and something that can allow you to 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 go to bed that night feeling inspired by what you've done. Mm. Uh, Some of the hardest things that I had to do in preparation for traveling full time was to sell everything I owned. It was, it was, it it was long. It was hard. It was, it was uh, difficult because I had to, you know, sever all these ties I had with things in my life and, and, and that represented comfort and stability and all the things that I knew. And yet it was also one of the most cathartic things I'd ever done. But the only way I could actually sell, how do you even begin selling everything you own? Where, where do you even start? Uh, little by little, every day, break it down. Uh, how did I start a career that could support me along the way? Break it down, little by little. Uh, and if you uh, want to get a location independent career uh, going to uh, that can fund a lifestyle of travel, uh, Definitely get the foundations of that business going before you hit the road, because once you hit the road, you're going to be, it's, it's a full-time job just to figure out what your travel style is and to learn the ropes of what it is to travel as a lifestyle. 
uh, if you don't have any money coming in at the same time, you are going to be juggling. And trust me, I, I speak from experience. I, I wouldn't want to wish the first couple of years that I had on the road on anyone else. Neither. <laughs> totally know what you mean. Awesome. Really great. Um, really great advice. Thanks for that. Um, where can people find you online and connect with you and send you emails that you are like, why, why, where can they do that? <laughs> well, you can find me at theprofessionalhobo.com and you can find my email address there as well. You can find the books that I've written and, uh, and you can find the social channels I'm on really just the easy, the easy go-to is theprofessionalhobo.com. Nora, uh, I do write a couple of extra columns. Uh, I write a, a, a Dear Nora column on a website called creditwalk.ca mm. where I answer all kinds of reader questions. It's like Dear Abby, except for travel. Uh, and I'm part of the Smart Money Squad on bank, Go Banking Rates where I talk about lifestyle travel as well. Look at you all over the place. I love it. Another wow from me. And um, Nora, you're a delight. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you very much. You were a delightful uh, host. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in today. If you love Nomad Me, make sure to leave your good review on iTunes. Every week, I select a reviewer to win a lifetime Nomad Fly membership for free. All the show notes can be found at digitalnomad.me. See you tomorrow.